Greetings. Welcome to Calvary Christian Fellowship. So another Wednesday night study. We're ready to get into this. Let's open in prayer and we'll jump right in. Father, we bless you. We thank you for this evening. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us as we go through this tonight, Lord. That as we open your word together and we look into your word, Father, I ask that we would not be the same after peering into the mirror of your word than we were before. Thank you that your word does not return void. It accomplishes its purpose. I pray that purpose would be accomplished in us. Father, not for us, but for others through us. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for this time together. I pray that you help me. Help me to share and speak on those things tonight that are in this lesson that would be in your heart to touch and major on those things that you want to do to touch our hearts. We ask this pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. One amen there. So you and me, Bill. (laughs) All right. So we are, we've reached a, okay, I'm not getting a, there we go. Not getting it. There we go. We, we've reached the end of second half of chapter nine. We're going to finish up chapter nine. We started last week and then we should get through chapter 10 tonight. It's, it's not super long. It's basically, it's a kind of a concluding chapter. Really, it's an encouraging chapter of the things that we've studied. There is some stuff to look at in it. Um, then uh, next week, I want to do, there's a, to the appendix of this, it talks about how to pray for one another, pray for healing. And I think that's important. So we'll probably go ahead and do that next week and spend some time on that and hopefully spend some time in prayer. Um, and then we'll, we'll be breaking into our next study. So kind of exciting. So uh, so afterwards tonight, for sure, we want to land on what we're going to study next. So we've had some discussions out there. We're floating some things. We're kind of leaning in a certain direction. But make sure you remind me when we get to the end so we can decide for, for, um, for sure where we're going to land, where we're going to go. Everybody good? Everybody good? Yeah. All right. Great. Um, all right. So we're, we've been working through this book, the... Um, uh, the Beginner's Guide, where we go? Come on. Right here. The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by, by Dr. Sam Storm. Everything. I did something wrong. I went to the commercial. So there's an outing coming up. There's Baptism Sunday. That's first Sunday. If anybody needs baptism, that's first Sunday of every month. Uh, Wednesday nights, we do studies here. Um, Six Flags, the girls are going on an outing in Six Flags. <laughs> yes, I'm ready. Oh, there we go. Sorry, guys. Is it not? I don't know. Am I hitting the wrong side? There we go. Everything I quote is either a scripture from ESV or from the book directly, I am going to hit in some scriptures that didn't come out of the book, some stuff we're going to talk about tonight that I thought was a good example uh, to, to take a look at. Um, so uh, we're the second half of chapter 9, what I'm going to do, this, this, this chapter is on tongues and interpretation in the church, tongues and interpretation in the church. Um, and we covered a lot of really good stuff last week. Uh, I'm going to do just a brief a review of it. I'm going to kind of just hit the highlights of what we talked about last week, just to kind of get us into where we're going tonight. So if you weren't here, you uh, um, you'll uh, you can kind of catch up to us. Um, so 
I wonder if it needs a new battery because it's it's like I'm clicking it and then all of a sudden it jumps three. Little trick. This works at home. Uh, I don't know if it will work with this, but if you're like using your remote on your television and it start, stops working, switch the batteries. And you can switch those batteries about five or six times and get a whole lot more life out of the batteries. But now that I've said that, I have no idea which way the batteries go because I just pulled them out. And I can't see in there. This is really bad. Technical problems here. Mm. Oh, that's the positive down there. Okay. Let's see if that worked. There we go. It seems, well, I don't know what's going on, Sally. Yeah, two triple A's. Um, so what we asked the question, are tongues always human languages? Are tongues always human languages? We dealt with this. We put, went through it pretty thoroughly last week. The reason why it's ish, an issue is because uh, those who come from what's called a cessationist theological position, those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the lives of the apostles, the, pretty much will claim that, that the only time you ever see tongues in the Bible is a reference to human languages. So we actually looked at that. We opened the Scriptures together last week. And what we actually found is, yes, in fact, there are many examples today of people who will speak in tongues and actually speak human languages. We also discovered that in Acts chapter 2, which happens to be working, we're going to mess with it for the moment. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, is the only text in the entire apostolic writings which demonstrate as a fact that tongues are speaking human languages. There's others where it's possible, but that's the only one we know where it references human languages. Number three. Um, We ask the question, why, when we get to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, and all of a sudden people are demonstrating baptism in the Spirit through speaking in tongues, why is it only believers there? If tongues is about people hearing them in their languages in those settings, there's nobody there but believers. And there's no one with other languages there to even hear it. So uh, why why is that? The next thing we asked... um, uh, we just went. We just asked that. What's the next fact? Uh, there, um, when Paul writes about tongues in First Corinthians 12, he says there's various kinds of tongues. That doesn't. Uh, uh, it, it, its potential could mean languages, but it, the, the 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 nature of the word used is species of language, i.e., tongues of men, tongues of angels. There's various species of language. The next thing we talked about is Paul talks describes tongues as speaking to God and not to men. What, why would it be human languages if it's speaking to God, not to men? Furthermore, how necessary is it to always use a, a human language? Human language would be the opposite if we're speaking to men, not to God. Number, uh, the next thing we looked at, that same verse that says you're speaking to God says no one understands. Well, if it was a human language, someone would be understanding. Okay, but it says no one understands when you're speaking in a tongue. So... Um, so it's just the opposite, once again, of a human language. The next fact that we looked at, there was, come on, no need for a spiritual gift of interpretation if it was always a human language. You just need an educated person. 
somebody educated with the language. There is a spiritual gift, meaning it's not someone's natural talent and ability to be able to interpret. It's not just someone who knows the language. The spiritual gift is as much a spiritual gift as wisdom or prophecy or one of the other supernatural revelatory items. And we're going to talk more about that gift tonight. The next thing we looked at, Paul doesn't refer to... Paul does refer to it being the tongues of men and of angels in 1 Corinthians 13. If taken alone, that could be um, hyperbole, but put in, in context of everything else, it much more fits the various kinds. Uh, Paul spoke in tongues in private where there were no foreigners could hear. He says, I, I'm glad I speak more than you all. It's my private thing that I do all the time. Okay, why would he be, you know, what's the whole point of it being about foreign languages if he's Praying in private to God and he doesn't understand it. That doesn't, doesn't comport. So um, the fact that it was private defeats the whole point if tongues were meant to be human languages. And then the last fact that we looked at is that um, uh, if, if un- unbeliever, unbelievers came in and they saw people speaking human languages, they wouldn't think you're crazy. They'd think you're highly educated. <laughs> they wouldn't go, oh, they're crazy. What is that? What's that stuff? They go, wow, they're super educated people. So, um, so once, so the fact that you know that it's sometimes there are those who say, well, it always has to be human languages. That actually does not fit well with what we see in the text. In fact, the text shows that it's mostly not. All right. So we looked at that. Next thing that um, I should be keeping up down here. Um, next thing we wanted to, we talked about last week was what is the purpose of tongue speech? And this helps us a lot. The primary purpose is it is a form of prayer. It is communication with God. That's the primary purpose. Um, so the sec- another purpose that we looked at is that it is spiritual warfare. Praying always in the spirit, Paul tells us in Ephesians. It is a, it is a means of spiritual warfare. Uh, we looked at the example of Jackie Pollinger's mi- uh, mission uh, ministry, where she was called into the walled city of China. You all remember us talking about that last week? And this was a picture of her here. And she said this. Um, she said, God wants us to have s- soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble is many of us have hard hearts and soft feet. And it's like, wow, that, that's really good. Um, You'll, you will probably see that again. I'm just going to tell you that. That's going to come up in a sermon. Um, it is. It's just that good. All right. Um, and then finally, the next purpose, not finally, the next purpose we looked at was self-edification. Building oneself up in the Lord. Um, and then we looked at it's, it's a means of blessing God and his works. Uh, it's, it's a means of thanking God. It's a means of compensating us for our weakness and ignorance in prayer, the Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray. Um, so these are all of the purposes of tongues, not a human language so that someone could hear to, to win. Now, does that happen? Yeah, it does. But they're not the primary purposes given to us when we just looked at the text and we just examined what does the text tell us? What is it teaching us? The next thing we did, we asked the question, because this is brought up quite a bit, is, well, why is it like this so rapid? Why do, you know, it's not like some people saying something so rapidly. Um, what I like, somebody brought up here, it's not in my notes, somebody brought this up last week, and says, well, have you ever listened to anyone speak another language? It always sounds like that. If you don't know the language, it, isn't, what, it just sounds like somebody just going off rapidly, you know? I'm like, that, that's a really good point. 
But the scripture doesn't give us a reason of why it sounds the way it sounds. It doesn't. Um, we, we looked at a few things. It could be that we encounter a higher level of energy when interacting directly with or through the Holy Spirit. It could be there's no hesitation. I like this one a lot. There's no hesitation. The Holy Spirit knows exactly uh, what he is leading you to pray. He's not sitting there uh, wondering what's on the heart of the Father. He's just immediately assisting you to begin to just pray immediately. And the fastest you can go is the fastest as he's going to pray through you. So, uh, the Holy Spirit's articulate. There's no wonder. There's no contemplating. There's no thinking through the words. It just starts to flow. Um, it could be the fact that it's, it's uniquely not characterized by our normal fear or self-conscious way of speaking. And when we're speaking, very often we're self-conscious. We're thinking about it. We want to be careful about our Well, not all of us. Most of us want to be careful about our words. You know, some of us have more filters than others. Let's put it that way. And, um, and we're filtering what we're saying. Um, it could be that there's simply no need to wait to think to say something. So there's all these different reasons. And then the, the, the last thing we looked at before we get into our new section was why are people so afraid? Why are people afraid of tongues? What's this all about? Some are genuinely fearful that they don't want to do something that's not genuine. They don't want to do something that's artificial. However, here's the problem. Fear always stifles faith. Faith and fear are opposites. To step out in faith. Now, look, there's a difference between being careful and being fearful. But if I'm fearful, oh, then I am definitely not going to allow God to be moving and walking through me. Right? They're polar opposites. We have to be passionate to seek what is genuine and real. That's good. We need to be willing to be judged. That's called being humble. Oh, I didn't get that right? Help me. How do I do that better? Okay? We need to approach, approach it with humility. But we also need to be fear, fiercely Fiercely vigilant not to allow fear and doubt to steal from us what is genuine and real. To say, well, I'm not going to do that because I might be be ingenuine about it. That's also being not availing yourself to what's genuine and real. To cut yourself off of it is keeping yourself from the very thing that you say you're trying to do. All right. Some start and feel the experience was not sufficiently supernatural, and so it's not real and worth the effect. Again, this is one of those things where we're being led by our feelings rather than faith. Okay? It's not a, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, can be accompanied with great emotion, but they're not about our emotions. They're about the Holy Spirit moving in and through us and our obedience to God. Um, some say, it's, well, it seems irrational, incoherent, seems gibberish, seems silly. We talked about the story about silly. Um, okay, so I notice that it's not keeping up with Sally. I don't know. Let me try changing the batteries now. Let's see what happens. Oh, that definitely didn't do anything. You gave me dead batteries, Sally. No, just joking. Could have been. <laughs> no, it's, it's got green light. Oh, you know, let me try something. Let's try that. Oh. There. We did that one. We did that one.
Okay. Um, uh, some, some are just afraid of sounding silly or foolish. And again, their fear keeps them from what God has for them. All right. So then we looked about, so if, what if we don't speak in tongues? What advice might we have for someone who does not speak in, in tongues? Number one, don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, you won't lose control. God doesn't take over and you lose control. He is an officer and a gentleman. The individual is always no, God doesn't overcome your will. God asks you to submit your will to him. Big, big difference. Um, you don't have to put your brain on ice. You don't stop thinking. In fact, many times when I am speaking or praying in tongues, my brain's actually more engaged because I'm thinking through what I might begin to pray uh, with my mind while that's going on. So, um, uh, so you don't put your brain on ice. You don't have to prime the pump. This is another one. I've, I've heard people say this. Well, you know, they're teaching people. It's like, well, you know, just start saying something and then let God take control of it. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. The Holy Spirit will come on you if and when it's time. What, what should you do? Persevere in prayer, period. Just persevere in prayer. Um, one of the things that's really helpful is that, remember, we're not seeking a gift. We're earnestly desiring a gift. We're seeking God. We're, called, we're told to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but we're told to seek God. Lord, I want all you have for me. I desire this gift. I desire that. I desire you to walk through me. And that we're going to get to tonight how we go about doing this in a different way than some of us may have thought about. But the point is our trust is in God, not our earnestness or de- our desire. We're trusting in God. And if it's a gift that he has for us, he'll give us the gifts. So we, we just need to keep seeking him in it. And then finally, devote yourself to extended periods of praise. Put on praise music and just worship him. Wor- and and, and allow, uh, develop what's called affective spiritual disciplines. Affective spiritual disciplines, those disciplines in which we are emotionally connecting to God, in which we're allowing the other parts of our soul to connect to God um, in, in worship and in praise and adoration. All right. So, the gift of interpretation of tongues. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight, I say that. Um, but this is the final gift that we've been studying. Uh, and um, uh, there's a lot I'm going to quote from the text. It says this, the interpretation of tongues may be the most neglected gift in the body of Christ. It is also one of the more important gifts insofar as it alone makes possible the introduction of tongue speech and its obvious blessings into the gathered assembly of the believers. Right? It's, it's what makes... If an individual has a, a tongue gift, it's the interpretation gift that makes it a blessing for the common good of the congregation, as Paul puts it. All right, so we're going to talk for a minute about um, what the gift is not. We're going to discuss what it is not so that we can better hone on what it is. So the interpretation of tongues, what, it, what isn't it? What, is, what it is not? All right, so the gift of uh, interpretation of tongues is not the ability to interpret revelation on a broad scale. Someone who has this gift does not automatically have the ability to interpret dreams or visions or other revelatory phenomenon. 
Okay? It's not the ability. It's, it's someone who is interpreting a tongue. It doesn't mean that they have a broad-scale prophetic ability to, to interpret things. Um, also, it's not the natural ability to translate a foreign tongue. Now, there are some people who are very gifted in that, and that is a gift, but it's a natural gift, not a spiritual gift. Um, it, it cannot be if it is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, Paul tells us. I went past it. The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So each one of these is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that's given to us. All right. So what is it then? Um, the short version, Spirit-empowered translation of a public utterance of tongues on behalf of the listening conversa- con- congregation. Okay? It's spirit-empowered translation. It's like all of a sudden, I just kind of know what that means. It's, um, the translation, it could be word for word. It could also be broad interpretive summation. Okay? Um, the, the, the once or twice where this has happened for me, I've not had this happen a lot, but the once or twice for me, it was more along the lines of I knew the spirit of what was being said, less the word-for-word translation of what was being said. I was like, okay, the spirit of God is speaking this to us. So it, it could be more of a, 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 like, ex, it's kind of like explaining a work of art. What's the intent? What's the mood? That type of way. That's the way, that's the way it struck me when it occurred to me. There are other times where someone will have more of a word-for-word translation or what will seem like a word-for-word translation. There's no reason the interpretation needs to be the same length as the tongue utterance. There's no reason for that. Okay? Now, we're going to look at something from the text, from the scripture. This is, this is, a, this is not, um, not the exact situation of someone having a tongue and someone having an interpretation. But it is a situation where, where a tongue is given and an interpretation is given, and they don't have the same length. We're going to see where there are specific words that are given, and the meaning is much more broad than just the specific words. And there's only one particular person who has this spiritual gift to come along and interpret what these words actually mean. Uh, now, some of you may already be kind of picking up on where we're going here. I'm going to the book of Daniel. Interesting, I should be going to the book of Daniel. Anyway, uh, says this in, in chapter five, verse five. This is um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson is is on the throne, Belshazzar, um, and uh, he's in in Babylon. Um, likely, he's ruling under his father. His father is likely not in the outside. He's outside of the kingdom in another place. So um, anyway, this hand appears immediately. The fingers of a human hand appear. And so uh, Belshazzar had taken the holy articles that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the tabernacle. He had taken them out, and he's having this big old wild party, and he's using the holy articles from the temple of God for his just pagan party. Let's just put it that way. This this pagan party that's going on. And so all of a sudden, this hand appears. This is immediately the fingers of a human hand appear and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And when the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him, his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. That's some serious fear going on there. 
Um, the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a chain around, of gold around his neck, and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. This is why I explained earlier, third ruler is probably because he was second ruler. His father was still ruling, just not in Babylon. Um, so he's like, you're, 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 you, you are the man if you can figure this out. I need to know what this is saying. And all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Okay? They needed someone who could interpret what's going on spiritually here. So jumping down to verse 17, we're not going to go through the whole story. Daniel answered before they called Daniel in. And notice Daniel wasn't even killed in to begin with. He's, he had, uh, was a lot older now. Belshazzar really wasn't interested in him. And now he's being ushered back into a point of prominence in, in this administration. Um, of course, it will only be for one night because Belshazzar loses his kingdom after this night. But Daniel says this, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Okay, so notice we have a language and an interpretation. And, and, and verse, down in verse 22, it says this, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. And he, he was going on explaining how Nebuchadnezzar understood who Yahweh was. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this is down in uh, verse 24, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and, and, ups, uh, and Parsin, or Uparsin. There's a couple different ways it's translated. Here's the interpretation. Now catch this. This is my point. Right there. Don't move. Don't move. This is the interpretation of the matter. Now, what does it see this? One word, mene. It's just one word written. Now, what's the interpretation? God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. The hand wrote one word. What's the interpretation? See, this is the concept. An interpretation doesn't always have to be, you know, it's like, well, well, that person just stood up and that person went on and on. And the interpretation was three words or vice versa. That person just said three words and now this person is talking for a half hour. It's because they're a pastor. But anyway... Now, it's, but here's the point. We're seeing this in Scripture right here. There's one word, and Daniel's got this whole interpretation for it. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Okay, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So, um, and so again, this is, uh, we're not going to, we might be looking into Daniel. That's like kind of could be a commercial for what we study next. So we're not going to drop back. I just wanted us to see this example from the scriptures where you can get 
a supernatural word and you can get a supernatural interpretation and they don't match one another in length. And so why would we necessarily expect that today? All right. So what would be the content of the interpretation of tongues? What would that be? Now, I I find this, this is a really interesting study here. Um, What would likely be interpreted is this. (coughs) Remember, remember the purposes of tongues. What were the, think of the purposes of tongues. Based on their purposes, what would likely be interpreted is some form of prayer, a form of worship, a thanksgiving, something very Godward focused, something akin to the Psalms. Someone speaking a tongue publicly would be proclaiming a type of prayer, a type of worship, something that was akin to the Psalms because of the purpose of tongues to begin with. It, what would it likely not be? It would likely not just be prophecy in another form. Okay? It would like, why? Because prophecy is going to be horizontal, directed towards the people, towards individuals. Tongues is directed towards God. So the interpretation would likely be, now, why is that important to know? Because if you're going to be open to the Holy Spirit using you, it would be helpful to know the direction in which the Holy Spirit would be speaking through you. This is one of the ways. Remember we said that the Scripture says you need to judge what it is that you've heard. Well, part of judging what you hear hear it is understanding the character and nature of what it is that you're hearing. There we go. So, these are two different gifts. You have prophecy and you have tongues with the interpretation. They're both meant to edify and to encourage, but they're different. Prophecy has one purpose. Tongues and interpretation has another purpose. They're not just, well, God's going to do it this way today and this way tomorrow. There's different purposes for them in the body, different uh, ways of encouraging. So, way of looking at it formulaically, tongues plus interpretation does not equal prophecy. Let me say it again. Tongues plus interpretation does not equal prophecy. Rather, tongues plus interpretation equals prayer, praise, thanksgiving. Think about it for a minute. If you're sitting there and you're worshiping and then all of a sudden you, you have an, uh, uh, an expression in which you are praying in the Spirit before God. I, uh, for those who have spoken in tongues, how often is it, do you sense you're praying, you're worshiping? You're not sitting there trying to give a word to somebody. <laughs> you're not thinking about you're, you're You're in this Godward mode when you're doing this. So the interpretation should follow that mode, most likely. All right. So um, to close out on chapter 9, we're going to jump into chapter 10. Um, Jack Hayford said this. Is he's the pastor emeritus of Church on the Way in Van Nuys. Uh, I don't know how say that. Van Nuys? Van Nuys. Van Nuys or Van Nuys? Okay, Van Nuys, California. Um, He's got some helpful wisdom for us. This is what he wrote. It began to dawn on me that given an environment where the word of God... Did I go past? It began to dawn on me that given an environment where the word of God was foundational and the person of Christ the focus and the Holy Spirit could be trusted to do both and lighten the intelligence and ignite the emotions. Okay, If if we trust the Holy Spirit to do that. I soon discovered that to allow him that much space necessitates 
more a surrender of my senseless fears than a surrender of sensible control. That's really good. It's not, it's not finished. There's more to say, but I just want to sit on it for a minute. I'm not just surrendering sensible control. I'm surrendering senseless fear. God is not asking any of us to abandon reason or succumb to some euphoric feeling. He is, however, calling us to trust him enough to give him control. And by giving him control, once again, it's not that he takes over. It's that we are obeying. We're just willing to let him walk through us, to live through us. It's much like Jesus going to the cross. Holy Spirit didn't take him over, but he certainly gave himself to the control of the Lord to do that. Everybody follow? All right. So, um, do you understand? We're not going to, there's several questions here for discussion. I'm going to skip over those for now. Um, We might come back to them. Um, uh, But that's, you know, kind of covering, we spent a lot of time on this particular gift. It's the most controversial gift, the least understood. I felt like there was some fantastic teaching that we went through doing this. And I just want to hope everybody would encourage seeking the Holy Spirit in that. All right. So, chapter 10. And this is about the gifts in general. Um, uh, This is letting your gift find you. Letting your gift find you. Okay? Um, And this chapter is all about us beginning to live, walk, operate, and allow the Holy Spirit to manifest his gifts in our lives and through. How do we go about that? We studied each one of them in depth. If you've come to this chapter, and I'm quoting from the text here, if you've come to this chapter having read the previous nine, congratulations. I say this because it demonstrates your concern for spiritual gifts and the role they play in your life as a believer and in the life of the church. It also demonstrates your commitment to the authority of Scripture. And that's huge. Because everything we did was open up the Bible. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? People say this. People say that. People say this. What, is that. what does that look like in light of the Scripture? The authority of the Scriptures. There are far too many Christians who just don't believe this issue is important enough to warrant the investment of time and energy to read another book. Or listen to a set of teachings. You know. They ask often with a pained look on their face. Are spiritual gifts really that important? I'll answer that, uh, I'll answer that question by asking a few of my own. Each of which is drawn directly from what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. All right, so two questions for us. Let me ask these questions from, from Paul in chapter 4. Number one, do you think it's important for Christians to get along with each other? I mean, nah. number two, do you value Christian unity? All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to look through several verses here um, and, and see exactly what did the Apostle Paul tell the Ephesians. We're going to, first off, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, he says this, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. What does that mean is we can never plumb the depth 
of the riches there are in searching out Christ. We can never come to the bottom. If we're bored with Jesus, we really haven't gotten very deep. I would submit to you, there is something else in the way. Now Paul goes on and he says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says this, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Every one of us are called. A calling is not some special office or some special thing. Every one of us are called. Every one of us are, are to manifest the gifts that God has for us. We're going to see that in just a minute. With, how do we do this? We do it humbly. We do it gently. We do it with patience. We do it by bearing with one another in love. You know, if we actually stopped and parsed, we could parse that verse. To bear with one another in love. Why would Paul have to tell us that unless we had to actually bear with one another in love? Mm. Anyway, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our eagerness is to walk this out together. To be eager to find a way to walk this out together. How do we walk this out together? There is one body. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. You know, he's, he's not minoring on the fact that we're called here. We're called to one body. We're called with, through one spirit. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God and Father of all who, was, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ desires to gift each one of us. That word used here for gift is the same word we see in 1 Corinthians 12 for giftings. Remember I told you there's three chapters that made your own gifts? We talked about that, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and what's the third one? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, Romans 4, and what's the other one? Romans 12, Romans 12. That's right, 12 points right there. All right. Therefore, it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Very fascinating interpretation of that text that, that Paul is, is interpreting an Old Testament text when he does this. Really fascinating what he's doing. He's trying to emphasize and make a point. Jesus has given us gifts. Now those gifts become manifested in our lives. How? In saying he ascended, what, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who, he who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. He's talking about the lordship of Jesus. And what does he do? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. gave these gifts for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. What are spiritual gifts for? The building up of the body of Christ. Paul spent three chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, saying these things are manifestations of the Holy Spirit so we can build up the body of Christ. So what Paul's saying here, he's even given gifts so that you can learn to walk in gifts. 
so that the body is built up. That's pretty awesome. That doesn't, doesn't finish there. How long does that happen? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. The responsibility of holding the body together is every one of ours. You are equipped to hold the body together. This little finger, this finger right here, this little finger right here has these little tendon, these uh, little ligaments that cross over like that. And that ligament is responsible for holding that phalange to that phalange right there. And if it's not there, this doesn't function right. You are responsible for holding the body of Christ together. How do you do that? By being supernaturally empowered. Now, we're going to look at how we actually go about doing that in a minute. Each, uh, when, when each part is properly uh, uh, um, working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you catch the last phrase? Oh, we're just sitting here waiting for the Holy Spirit to build me up in love. Ooh. No. It builds itself up in love. Do you want the body to be built up? I love Dan Muller says this. Dan Muller, people will come up to Dan Muller all the time and say, you know, I just got to find another church, Pastor Dan. I really do. My church isn't very loving. He goes, really? He goes, aren't you there? I thought you were going there. How can it not be loving? Hmm. The body builds itself up. It doesn't wait for someone else or something else to build it up. All right. So what are we seeing here? Spiritual gifts are vital. They're vital for what? Unity of the faith. Knowledge of the Son of God. Maturity. Measuring up to Christ. Theological integrity. Awareness of deceitful schemes. Speaking the truth in love. Growth. Equipping, working properly, and functioning together as a body in love. Other than that, what do we need spiritual gifts for? Why would we want to study that? Why would we want to know about those things? Hmm. So, quoting Dr. Storms again, most believers long for maturity and theological integrity and, in, and encouraging speech and growth, but few realize that these things are all tied to the proper exercise of spiritual gifts in the life of the church. How can you say you're mature and not receive what God has to help you build other people up? Where's that mature? I don't, I don't like that. That's weird, Lord. Where's the, where's the maturity in that? Where's the theological integrity in that? Well, that's, a, that's, you know, that's somebody else's job. Simply put, there is little hope that the chasm I referred to in chapter 1 will ever be bridged if we continue to neglect spiritual gifts or relegate them to secondary status in the, Christ, in the body of Christ. So, sorry guys. So, if you persevered long enough to reach this point in the book, congratulations. All right. So the question is, big question we all have. What's my gift? What's my gift? How do I know what my gift is? What's my gift? Right? That's what we want to know. 
All right. Anybody want to know what their gift is? Nobody wants to know what their gift is? Everybody feels like they're about to be set up, don't they? You should be. <laughs> Anybody that's, you know, kind of listened for a, a little bit would know. I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> you should be raising your hand. Do you not want to know what your gifts are? Yeah, you, some already know. Okay, good. Good. So the answer to our final question is not found in a spiritual gifts inventory or a personality profile. You won't find it in a spiritual gifts inventory or personality profile. There's a scriptural approach. That approach is practical, it's pragmatic, and it's need-based. It's practical, it's pragmatic, and it's need-based. So I'm, the rest of what I'm going to be sharing right here, I'm literally going to be quoting right out of the text. I can't put it any better than this. Well, we might um, you know, expound on it a little bit as we go through. But this is just the last few paragraphs right out of the text. This is what he says. The next... That didn't work. There we go. The next time you're in church or in a small group or just hanging out with other believers... Pause and ask, is anyone physically hurt or suffering from chronic pain? Intentionally, stop, pause, ask yourself. If so, take your hands out of your pockets, lay them on your brother or sister, and pray for God's healing power. Is anyone you know distraught or discouraged? Or some finding life too hard or frustrating to, too frustrating to bear? If so, take them out for a cup of coffee and listen to their story. You don't have to theologize about their predicament. They're not looking for explanations. They just want someone who cares enough to spend a few minutes with them. Just listen to them. Just love them. Is anyone struggling financially with a few prospects to get with few prospects to get them out of a hole? Do something courageous. Give them your last fifty dollars and trust God to supply your need. Do you know people who are confused about some verse in scripture just they just read in their devotional time? Perhaps you're just as befuddled as they are. Pull out a concordance, a study Bible, perhaps a commentary from church library, and study a bit. Then sit down with your friend and put your heads and hearts together and pray for the Spirit to shed light on your thinking. Is anyone struggling with sin? Well, of course they are. Offer to pray for them. But before you do... Sit quietly together and ask the Lord to guide your thoughts and speak words of wisdom to your soul. If you sense something or a thought comes to mind, share it with them. It might be the key that opens the door to their hearts or brings freedom from bondage. Does the person you just prayed for report hearing voices in his or her head? Does this person struggle with paralyzing shame, virtually bombarded on a daily basis by accusing thoughts and self-contempt? If so, 
Speak the word of God over him or her with authority. In the name of Christ, command any demonic spirits to leave and never return. Pray for this person to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Do you know anyone overwhelmed by the clutter in their garage and that ever-increasing mountain of dirty laundry? Offer to spend Saturday with them, helping out, picking up, washing, drying, folding, and putting away clothes. None of this sounds especially spectacular. Well, maybe some of it does. So what am I getting at with all these questions Dr. Storms asked? Simply this. If we spend less time searching to identify our spiritual gifts and more time actually praying and giving and helping and teaching and serving and exhorting those around us, the likelihood greatly increases that we will walk headlong into our gifting without ever knowing what happened. If you start intentionally purposely allowing the Holy Spirit to use you to love on others and serving others, the Holy Spirit's going to manifest. God will more likely meet us with his gifts in the midst of trying to help his children than he ever would while we're taking a gift analysis. Test. I earlier raised the question of whether there might be spiritual gifts beyond those explicitly mentioned in the New Testament. You know, might there be others? I'm inclined to believe there are potentially as many gifts as there are needs in the life of the church and the experience of the individual Christians. So, look for a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Be alert to the cry for help and answer it listen for the voice of god and speak it identify someone's weakness and overcome it look for what's missing and supply it when you do the power of god the energizing enabling charismatic activity of the holy spirit will equip you perhaps only once but possibly forever to minister hope and encouragement to those in need. So if you're still wondering what your gift might be, act first, ask later. I love that. I love that. Look, um, does that go, uh, you know, without teaching and learning and all that? No, it's what he just said. He said, look, (laughs) open the Bible, get a commentary, study this, figure this out, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. That's what we're doing here. And our goal, we've done this every week, right? We're not every week, but multiple weeks now. When we're done, when we're through, when we're finished, what do we do? We stop and we say, okay, what do we need? Who has a prayer need? Let's listen to the Lord. Let's practice these things. It's about acting on it and seeing what God would do in and through us. Amen? All right. So um, I'm not going to go through these questions other than just to read them out, uh, out loud for for uh, as a way to close out as a thought exercise to ask yourself 
after I go through these, we'll, we'll close in prayer, and then we're going to shut off, and then we'll have some time in here to ask questions and talk in here. So those that are listening in, if you have questions, if you have prayer needs, send them in. Love to hear from you. Um, if you've got something that you want us to study next, let us know. We're going to talk, be talking about it here um, uh, this, um, this evening after we, after we shut down. And um, next week, we're going to, to cover the, uh, in the appendix, it talks about how to pray for others for healing. We're going to spend uh, some time doing that. Um, and then hopefully, um, we'll spend some time actually praying for one another for those that need healing. Um, all right. And, and whatever other needs. All right. So the, here's our questions. What spiritual gift do you presently have from God? Okay. When and how did God impart this to you? Hmm. When and how? Do you, do you recall? Number two, what spiritual gift do you presently not have but you wish to have? You know why I like that? Because the scripture commands us to earnestly desire. And if you don't have one you're looking for, you have to ask yourself, am I obeying scripture? If I'm not actually looking for one, then am I actually really believing what the Bible says? What are you prepared to do in pursuit of such gifts? What, what are you prepared to do? To, to pursue that. Number three. How might you identify your spiritual gifts? Should you look inwardly and take stock of your own soul or look outwardly to the needs around you? I'm going to tell you, you'll be more identified by what makes your heart beat by looking at the needs around you. Why? Because what, may, what God's doing in you will, will be magnified when, by what you see. When you're saying, Lord, help me see, and you see something, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, and right away that's just beginning to, to, uh, um, to express what it is that makes you tick and how God is going to gift you if he hasn't already done that. We get drawn to things, um, and there's, there's more on that, and that's enough for now. So explain your answer. All right, so that's, that's our questions. Let's close in prayer. Father, we bless you. We thank you for this study, this time we've opened your word together. I pray uh, that, again, that we would not open it in vain, that we would not be the same before we looked into the mirror of your word as we were uh, afterwards, but that it would be transformative, that it would cause us to stir, that it would cause us to hunger, to want to love one another, to want to walk this out, to want to see the reality of Jesus live in our own midst, that we would be functioning as the body of Christ. In this earth, in this world, manifesting fully all the gifting that you desire to give us, because that's your love for us and for others. I pray that you would give us the hunger to love well the way you love, to want to love others. We bless you and thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, Sally, let me know when.